0: Welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on May 28, 2017, on the basis of Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. This past Friday, I had the great joy of spending a little bit of time in a kindergarten classroom. See, on the last day of school, the kindergartners had this short presentation that they put on for their parents to give them a little bit of an idea of what a day in kindergarten is like. Here's what I learned. A day in kindergarten is seven hours of almost non-stop mantras. These short rhyming, sing-songy chants that kindergarten teachers have for just about everything that help kindergartners learn and remember things like the classroom rules and the seasons and the months of the year and the sound that each letter of the alphabet makes and just about everything else. It's all mantras all the time. But as I thought about that presentation after the fact and the smile that it put on my face, I realized something. I realized that mantras don't end on the last day of kindergarten. Mantras aren't just a a child thing, and they aren't even just a school thing. We grown-ups, we have our mantras too. Now, they aren't quite as sing-songy as they are in the kindergarten classroom. They maybe don't rhyme quite as well, and they deal with different topics, of course, but nonetheless, we have sort of a vocabulary, a list of different expressions, a go-to set of statements that we tell ourselves and that we tell other people in a variety of different situations in life. These are our mantras. Everyone has them. Really, the only question is, what are your personal mantras going to be? As you can imagine, there are some mantras that are very good and very beneficial. There are others that are worthless or maybe even harmful. And so thankfully, the Christian church also has its own set of mantras. Maybe you've never thought of them quite in those terms before. In fact, we usually refer to them by a different term. We call them the creeds. They are the statements of what we as Christians believe. And yet, the fact that we say those creeds each and every week, week in and week out, sort of indicates that they are designed to be a little bit more than that. I mean, after all, as you sit here today, are your beliefs, is what you believe about God substantially different than what it was seven days ago? Probably not, right? So why do we need to go through the routine of speaking one of those creeds again in church today? Well, by doing so, the words of those creeds become our mantras. They become our vocabulary, that list of expressions, that set of go-to phrases that we can go to in a variety of different situations in life. Those Christian mantras include a statement that is at the heart and core of our focus today, the statement, He ascended into heaven. He ascended into heaven. Christians have been saying that sentence for thousands of years. We speak that sentence here at Good News just about every single week, which means that many of you have spoken that sentence dozens, hundreds, maybe even thousands of times during the course of your life. And yet here's the question I want you to consider this morning. What if we said it even more often than that? What if that short, simple sentence became one of those go-to mantras during even the most challenging circumstances that our life throws at us? No matter what the circumstance, no matter how hopeless it seems, how stressful it seems, how frustrating it seems, how despairing it seems, that that would be one of our go-to phrases. He ascended into heaven we're even going to to consider doing that, we probably need to understand fully what that statement is really all about. And as we turn our attention to these words from the book of Acts this morning, that's exactly what Luke's words help us do. They help us understand exactly what it means when we say, he ascended into heaven. And as we look at these words this morning, we're going to answer three important questions. First of all, who ascended? Second of all, where did he ascend to? And then thirdly, what does that ascension mean for us? So first of all, who ascended? Sounds like a simple and obvious question, right? In fact, we say it in our creeds, he ascended into heaven. And if we trace that pronoun, he, all the way back to its antecedent, we would find exactly what we expect to find, that the one who ascended into heaven is Jesus Christ, God's Son, our Lord. But Luke's words help us focus in and and really realize exactly what that means. We read Luke's account of Jesus' ascension, and it's very clear that the first thing Luke wants us to know is that Jesus truly and, risen, and really rose from the dead. Here's what Luke says He says, After his suffering, he, Jesus, presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, he was Eating with them. So many convincing proofs, repeated appearances over the course of 40 days, and at those appearances, it, those disciples not only saw Jesus, but they also spoke with Jesus, and at least on several occasions, even ate with Jesus. In other words, this wasn't something that they dreamt up, it wasn't some vision, their imaginations hadn't gotten the best of them. Jesus had truly and really risen from the dead. And the reason that matters is because of what happens. When those 40 days are over, Luke tells us that Jesus and his disciples were gathered on top of a mountain just outside of Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives, located near Bethany. When, here's what happened Jesus was taken up before their very eyes. So, literally, Luke says in that verse that while they were looking at Jesus, suddenly he was lifted up toward heaven. In other words, it wasn't as if Jesus said to his disciples, hey guys, let's go hike up a mountain and, and you can kind of go ahead and I'll just kind of hang out here in the back. And then about halfway up, they kind of turned around to say something to Jesus and, and he was gone. Where did he go? What happened? No, Luke tells us that they were looking at him when this happened. And when he ascended into heaven, he didn't just poof, vanish. He didn't just disappear into thin air. They actually saw him being lifted up toward the skies. Here's the very specific and and somewhat technical truth that Luke's account of Jesus' ascension is teaching us. He's teaching us that Jesus' ascension did not mark the end of his incarnation. In other words, when Jesus went back up into heaven, he did not leave his humanity behind. Or as one author put it, he didn't shed his humanity the way that a snake sheds its skin. No, Jesus came to this earth to become a human being, to be true man in every sense of the word. And when he went back up into heaven, he ascended as a true human being, a true man in every sense of the word. So, who ascended into heaven? Jesus Christ true God, true man, in one person. We'll see why that's important in just a second. Second question is, where did he ascend to? Again, the answer seems to be pretty simple and obvious, right? He ascended into heaven. But again, we need to pay very careful attention to Luke's account. So here are the disciples standing on top of the Mount of Olives, and they see Jesus, again, flesh and blood, taking his humanity with him up into heaven. And then all of a sudden, He gets to a certain height, he gets a certain distance away, and we're told that a cloud hid him from their sight. In other words, Jesus didn't just keep going up, 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 getting smaller and smaller and smaller until finally he's just a tiny speck and then he gets so far away that they can't see him anymore. No, he gets up to a certain distance. He shows them that he's taking his humanity with him, but then a cloud hides him from sight. See, Scripture teaches us that the heaven to which Jesus ascended, is not just some place in far-off outer space. If you had a space shuttle that could explore every nook and cranny of the entire universe at lightning speed, you would never come across Jesus ascended into heaven. Heaven is not just in far-off outer space, but heaven is really a realm that is completely outside of and removed from the confines of Space and time. And so when that cloud hid him from sight, that's where Jesus was going. Jesus entered that realm outside of our space and time universe. He ascended into heaven. Very simple sentence, and yet it, it teaches two rather complex and rather technical truths. That Jesus' ascension did not bring his incarnation to an end, but that he very much took his humanity with him, and that secondly, that he ascended not just to outer space, he, ins- he ascended to a realm outside of space and time. That's fairly heady and fairly heavy stuff. And yet you put those two truths together, and you have a source of limitless comfort, and encouragement. If we know who ascended and if we know where he ascended to, then we can understand what that ascension means. And again, Luke helps us out with his account. I want to point out something about the opening verses of Luke's book of Acts. As he begins to tell this story, here's what he says. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to To do and to teach until the day he was taken up into heaven. You probably noticed I emphasized kind of the key word in that sentence. You see, while he was here on this earth, Jesus did some pretty amazing things. And Jesus taught some pretty amazing things. But Luke tells us that what Jesus did here on earth was just the beginning that what he did on earth and taught on earth was only the beginning, and that now that he is in heaven, he is just doing those very same things, only now from a different position. Jesus has not changed. His work for us has not changed. The only thing that's changed is the position from which he carries it out. We jump ahead to the end of the account where the angels come and talk with the disciples, and really they say the very same thing. They say, Men of Galilee, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. In other words, there's no need to keep staring into the sky. There's no need to think, man, it sure would be nice if Jesus were right here with us. Because again, Jesus has not changed. The only thing that's changed is the position he occupies. Still the same exact Jesus. The same love, the same compassion, the same truth, the same power, the same wisdom. But now from his new position, outside of time and space, now from his throne in heaven, he is able to deliver all of those very same things on a completely unbounded, an unbridled scale. Let me give you just a few examples of the implication of that truth. So let's say life seems to be spiraling further and further out of control. Stress and anxiety keep climbing. The more you try to take life by the reins, the more powerless you feel. Jesus ascension means that you are not in control of your life and that you probably don't even want to be. Jesus' ascension means, again, not simply that Jesus is sort of like the CEO whose office is up on top of the 35th floor and then he's controlling everything that happens on floors 1 through 34. Again, it's not just that Jesus is up there and and we're down here. No, Jesus exists completely outside of space and time. And so as, as one author put it, it's sort of like Jesus is the author of a fictional novel. You never see his name written on the pages. He's not listed as one of the cast of characters. You can't visibly see his presence, and yet, of course, he's involved with everything. Everything that happens in that world is completely and totally up to him. And that's true because he ascended into heaven. Let's say that God seems distant and aloof in your life. You know that God is in control of sort of the the big picture things of the universe. He's making sure that planets don't collide, for example. But is he really interested? Is he really involved in what happens on your Monday morning? Well, Jesus' ascension means that God is closer to you now than he has ever been before. It means that God himself is closer to you right here, right now, than when Jesus sat across the table from his disciples, eating and speaking with them. Jesus' ascension means that his activity and his presence in our world is not confined to just one place and one time, but he is able to be our constant companion each and every day and no matter where we go. And all of that is true because he ascended into heaven. Jesus' constant presence can be a comforting thing. Of course, it can also be a terrifying thing. He's right there all the time. He sees each and everything. He hears each and every word. And so what happens when, despite good intentions and despite best efforts, you fail once again? You not only bring pain and misery into your own life, but into the lives of other people, too. And no matter what you try, you can't take it back. You can't undo it. You can't get the genie back in the bottle. Well, Jesus' ascension means that right now in heaven, in the presence of God, there is a flesh and blood human being. One of us, a member of our own race, has already been deemed worthy to be in God's presence. And do you know what he's doing up there? He is pleading your case. He is interceding for you. He is answering every single accusation that the devil brings against you with a constant reminder of the perfect price he paid with his death on the cross. And in addition to that, from his throne in heaven, he is able to make available to everyone on earth, every one of his people, his own body and blood, the very price that he paid for our salvation, he is able to deliver to us in and with bread and wine. As one of our communion hymns says, Jesus' body and blood must be boundless because the souls it feeds are countless. All of that is true because he ascended into heaven. Finally, what if you have a family member or a friend who needs to hear the truth about Jesus? Someone who is ensnared by the devil's lies and and trapped by the counterfeit truths that the world around us constantly bombards us with. What happens when you know someone whose eternal soul is in jeopardy and it seems patently obvious that Jesus has arranged things so that you are the one to bring them that truth about Jesus? Jesus' ascension means that the words that come out of our mouths no matter how insufficient and faltering they may seem to us, Jesus' ascension means that every syllable has been injected with the power of the Holy Spirit. So that every syllable is far more powerful than we can possibly even fathom, certainly far more powerful than we can even observe. That with every word that comes out of our mouth, the Holy Spirit is there working to bring truth and understanding, to bring freedom and wisdom, to bring Knowledge and awareness of one's sins and also complete confidence in forgiveness. The mission that Jesus has given us to do of sharing that gospel isn't even really our work. It's just his work that he is still doing only now he's doing it in and through us. And again, all of that is true because he ascended into heaven. Sounds like a pretty good mantra, doesn't it? Again, we're going to have mantras one way or another. The only question is, what mantras will we have? And I'm guessing if you're anything like me, sometimes the mantras sound an awful lot like the shallow and generic platitudes that we even hear from the world around us. We maybe say things like, everything happens for a reason. It'll all work out in the end. If you've messed things up once or twice, don't worry about it. Nobody's perfect. You can do better the next time. Maybe at times those mantras are are a little bit better, they're a little bit more spiritual-sounding, but still fairly generic and and maybe fairly shallow. We maybe say things like, well, God is in control, God is watching over you, God always loves you no matter what, and of course, each one of those is absolutely true. But what if something far, far better, what if something far more beneficial was right underneath our noses the entire time? These very specific these history-changing, life-altering truths that we recite each and every week in the mantras that we refer to as the Christian creeds, including that he ascended into heaven. Not only does it offer us bottomless comfort and encouragement as we seek to live as God's children here on earth, but we already know it. We say it each and every week, So I don't know about you, but it sounds like a pretty good idea to say it even more often than that. Amen. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.